Welcome to a new episode of Fortitude and Truth. My name is Nate. I'm here again now with my brother-in-law, Andrew. I'm sure you all missed him last week. Um, and so we'll let him try and do most of the talking this week. I'm sure he's super excited about that. He probably has lots to tell you. And maybe he'll share some of his stories from his trip. Maybe not. We'll see. But in any news, we have uh, this week we're doing another Academia Today to kind of kick off a new uh, section of episodes. We're going to be talking about worship and not just worship music because spoilers, worship is not just music. But today we're going to do a kind of a breakdown review um, discussion on a book called Worship, The Ultimate Priority, which is by Dr. John MacArthur. And I'm sure that name evokes some kind of feelings when you hear it, and that's okay. Uh, I think it's important to sometimes get past that and read what they have to share um, and put some personal feelings aside. I would say some of it is biblical, some of it's not. We're going to dive into some of that stuff today. And I think we're really going to just talk about really how he approaches the topic of worship and what is mostly beneficial. We try not to critique too much on this show. So I think you're going to get a lot more of, hey, we found this is helpful, this is helpful. And we may not necessarily touch on some hazardous um, things. We might a little bit. We'll see. But we'll see how the discussion goes. But we do still have a focus verse for you, which is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16, which states, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. It's a good verse. I think it's a good lead into our topic. Um, without giving too much of an intro, uh, we're kind of going to break this book into like three sections. Um, it's like chapters one through five, six through 10, 11 through 15. And realistically, if you want to buy this book, it, 15 chapters sounds daunting. And when I was first approached with this topic by Andrew, I was like, 15 chapters? When am I going to have time to read this, man? Um, but realistically, the chapters are about 10 pages, 10 to 12 pages in length each for the most part. So um, it's not too bad of a read. Um, just if you want a, a glimpse of what I'm reading for my PhD right now, in two weeks, I had to read like an 800-page book. So, uh, yeah, this is like easy a pretty... I could read this book in like 15 minutes. <laughs> no, I'm not, a spe- I'm not a speed reader. I just I have a lot to get through. So, uh, But no, this book was a good read. Uh, I very much enjoyed it. I very much enjoy the topic. Uh, last week I mentioned that uh, one of the first sermons I preached was on worship. And uh, truthfully, it was guided um, a little bit by this book, but a lot by MacArthur did a sermon series as well on like proper worship and what that really means for the Christian life. And so I kind of use that as a guideline to start. Um, I would not recommend pastors using other pastors' sermon outlines for guidelines, but it was my first sermon, so... I will humbly admit that while I was wrong, I had to start somewhere. And uh, since then, I have gone through seminary and learned quite a bit about writing sermons and um, still need to practice doing that. But I'm super excited about um, moving forward. And so uh, Andrew is going to be taking the bulk of this book today, uh, which I'm sure he's excited about. Uh, So I think we might as well just get get it started here um, from the beginning. Ah, yes. In the beginning, as it were. No, thank you, Nate. Yes, and I'm happy to be back. Eventually, maybe, if not this episode, maybe the next one we can briefly discuss it because I thought it did a lot of value for my trip. But I'm happy 
and honored to be back with both my sweet brother Nate here as well as all of you. Now, this book, um, fun fact, I read through it for a class, um, and it's a class on worship. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> but um, I found it to be a very good resource, um, one that I like to keep around. I actually have the digital copy. I am an old soul when it comes to books. I like hard copies. Nate's over here probably judging me. He usually laughs at me, but I do. I do. Uh, I appreciate hard copies. But anyway, I appreciate hard copies. It's just sometimes, and I already we talked about this earlier. My bookcase is busting from the seams. So is mine. That's a good thing. And man. it's it's a good thing, but it's also nice that like ninety percent of my book library is on my computer too. Yeah, well, for school, and so was mine. I can carry that with me, I and I don't have is. to lug up all or have to wait till I get home to look at something. I can just pull it up where I'm ever at. And my and my uh, shout out Lagos Bible software. Uh, syncs to my phone as well, so I can read, like I can just read books from my phone or that, on my computer, nice. and it's yeah. yeah I, it's I will super say for great. school, I mean, I wonder why we have the same kind of experience with school, but uh, yeah, a lot of my readings online as well. Uh, so anyway, I'm sorry, long segue into the actual book, um, and I think the title, very common of Dr. MacArthur, it really says what he's trying to get at. Um, and we see his worship, the ultimate priority. And it's, he begins that way. That's really the, the, the plumb line for the book is ultimately his, 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 the argument. I wouldn't even make the argument he makes, but what he states, um, I wouldn't call it an argument. I call it solid exegesis mostly um, throughout the whole book because I say mostly because he uses a lot of scripture um, in his definitions, I think, which I really appreciate, as we'll see. But... Um, it, it is really drawing the church back to a, a proper, first of all, a proper understanding of worship, but also understanding that it is our ultimate priority. Um, so without further ado, do uh, chapter one, which is titled what the world needs to know or needs now, rather, excuse me, what the world needs now. Um, it, that chapter one, uh, Dr. MacArthur outlines, and draws attention to the need of true biblical worship, um, and that the world at large, he, he doesn't get, he says at large, genuine worship is a lack. Um, and I, I would, excuse me, that's pretty, he, that's how he, how he starts it out. He starts it out with a few ex, uh, examples from like 1977 and so on, where people are finding, you know, images of Jesus in their food. Right and how people will venerate these items, which that is not really that's not really subjective. That does happen, um, and he's pointing out how that's we're missing the point of worship. Like we're we're venerating these things and we're missing the point of worship. And then he goes from there and outlines a proper perspective on worship. Um, he uses Deuteronomy six four and five. If I can scroll down here, let's see where. And, and Jesus quoted it um, in Mark 12, but, which is the greatest commandment. In, in, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, it's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, is one Lord, rather. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, that's a call for worship, um, as what Dr. MacArthur posits, and I think it's really well put. Um, so he's, even before that, he proceeds with the beginning in Genesis all the way through to the consummation in Revelation. The doctrine of worship is woven into the, the wrap and woof of the biblical text. 
warp rather. Well, I don't know. I can't read. Forgive me. <clears throat> and he, he goes on. He uses a lot of, specifically in chapter one, a lot of Old Testament. Um, he looks at De- Deuteronomy, Leviticus, um, specifically the, the, the offerings prescribed in Leviticus is one through seven are all acts of worship. Um, that, that's really what that is. It's not, because it's, and I would like to pause because most of the time, many of you out here, if, if, if you come, came with the presupposition or the assumption, if you will, that worship is simply us singing to God, um, I hope that this is a blessing to you. This is not a, not a stern talking to you, but, but more of worship is much more than that. And that's what Dr. MacArthur here in chapter one really alludes to. Because we see even like, for example, the offering prescribed in Leviticus, right? Chapters one through seven, those were acts of worship. Um, they weren't, they weren't um, sacraments to be observed. Um, and out, outside of that mindset, we, they, were, they were acts of worship. And then in chapter one, he goes on and talks about the problem of deviant worship, like what that actually does. And he uses examples of like King Saul, um, and then he outlines four kinds of unacceptable worship. Worship of false gods, and we see this in Isaiah. We see this in plenty of places in Scripture, but that he uses as an example. Uh, two, worship of, of the true God in wrong form. Three is worship of the true God in a self-styled manner, which was the problem of the Pharisees in Matthew 15. Um, and number four, worship of the true God in the right way with the wrong attitude. Now, I think within these, when uh, we'll get to when I get to my takeaways, but within these, we see the nuance and the, and the importance of worship. Now, it, I'm going to read a direct quote. It's from it's the end of chapter one. Unfortunately, I don't have the page number for whatever reason. I didn't make notation of that. But this is a direct quote from Dr. MacArthur. Read carefully the minor prophets. The prophecies of Israel's and Judah's destruction are related to the fact that they did not worship God with the proper attitude. And, and that's we see that at the end of chapter one. That's one of the things that Dr. MacArthur posits. And I thought that was fascinating. Maybe one day when we start looking at the minor prophets, we can kind of highlight that. Because it's, it's in there. I shouldn't say highlight it as in force. But. And also, he ends chapter 1 with this quote. When the church fails to worship properly, it fails in every other area. And I thought that was rather apt. Now chapter 2, as you roll in, I'm going to do my best because these, are, these are, can be long. Each section, Nate and I have our five chapters. And there's a lot we can go through. Um, but chapter 2 is examples of poor worship. Right? He opens... Chapter 2, with examples of poor worship, rather. Um, and we see warns of superficial worship. Right? The whole goal of chapter 2 is, with that in mind, with his call to attention, his call to action, if you will, of proper worship, how should we worship? And he, he starts out um, with examples of how not to worship, right? Um, and ultimately, that superficial worship is an affront to a holy God near and dear to my heart, um, the idea of God being holy. And I don't do it perfectly. I say that. I, just, I really like talking about the holiness of God and studying it. I think in modern America, in modern, the church in America, rather, we've neglected that largely, um, unfortunately. But anyway, he talks about the danger of superficiality in worship um, and how it's an affront to God, who is holy. And that God desi- he posits that God desires worship in spirit and in truth. 
Now, this idea, he doesn't touch on too much in chapter 2, this idea of what worship in spirit and truth looks like. That's going to be flushed out in further on chapters. I believe it's chapter 12 or 13. Um, and he, he posits too that Scripture is the only reliable and sufficient worship manual. And he applies sola scriptura to that, which I'm sure I did not pronounce the Latin perfectly, but... Which, for those of you who don't know the five solas, sola scriptura is the absolute sufficiency of scripture. It's the complete sufficiency that God's word is. Um, and he goes on and talks about the regulative principle, like applying this idea of scripture is all sufficient. How does that look like? How does that shape our worship? Um, and the regulative principle, um, actually he quotes Calvin. This is a partial quote, but... And this is a, uh, the regulative principle, how Calvin would outline it. It's a direct quote from Calvin, actually. That's a quote in MacArthur's book. Um, God disapproves of all models of worship not expressly sanctioned by his word. Again, this is this idea of the regulative principle that we should be regulating worship um, based on God's word. And so we see it, we should be looking at Scripture as a guard um, against, how do I word this? I'm trying to think of a better way to word this or illustrate it. But we should be guarding against things that are not clearly stated in Scripture when it comes to like prescribing worship and how we conduct worship. Um, a sure sign of extra biblical or not biblical worship um, is high emotion for the sake of feeling. I want to say that again, high emotion for the sake of feeling, meaning that in reality what's happening is you're searching for your own emotions or searching for that emotional high, if you will, not so much the fact that you're trying to glorify God. Um, and, and, and a true sign of that is drawing one's attention to the emotion and not to holy God, right? Not to, not to God, but to your emotion, to this feeling. And here's we, we, where we get the subtitle of the book. Worship is the ultimate priority. Like it's the ultimate priority for the Christian. Um, it's not a suggestion, which we'll see in further on chapters, but it is the ultimate priority. Chapter three is where Dr. MacArthur will give a simple definition of worship. And I say simple um, because he flushes it out, but he gives it a, it's a sentence. Um, and that sentence is a direct quote. Worship is honor and adoration directed to God. And as he continues to study out worship, it's going to add much depth and richness to this understanding. Like, it, it seems simple, but as, as we continue to flush this out, it adds a lot of depth and richness to it. Um, and I like this quote directly from it. Real acts of worship must be an overflow of a perpetually worshiping life. Now, that would imply, Nate, correct me if I'm wrong, but that there's more to worship than just corporately singing on sundays there is i yeah there definitely is i think there's a there's an element of that as kind of a culmination of like a group of gathering course. of worship but yeah. i think yeah that it really that's just stemmed from the entire life and he said i mean Mac, i macarthur says as much by the scriptures say as much we'd look at like romans 12 um that like your entire life is meant to be a spiritual of act of worship Absolutely. and um Paul says in Corinthians, I believe, too, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And, like, all these things give the implication of this new covenant that, like, 
and we'll get into this, I think, not even just today, of really how to exegete the Old Testament into the New Testament and really understand Old Testament worship has a lot more to do with our worship today than I think we realize. I 100% agree. <clears throat> MacArthur kind of leans on that a little bit, but I think that's something we'll flesh out a little oh, bit more. Oh, absolutely. No, and I think this, to your point, I think this is why this is a good way to introduce our series on worship because it's there's a lot of meat here, but it's like you said, it's not a onerous, a onerous, wow, can you help me pronounce that word? But anyway, and it's late, I, I guess I can't read or speak right now. But it's not a too difficult of a read for someone to pick up. Like he, he, Dr. MacArthur wrote this so that anyone in the pews could pick it up, read it, the flock could understand it. Um, it would add and grow them. Yes, I would agree that a lot of his books are like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've read a few of them, and they're definitely beneficial, and they're written in such a way that they're not going to be super, like, heady or educated. And so that's one thing I will say about this book is, like, it's not like, man, I've read some stuff lately. <laughs> and it's, like, there's big words, and it's super yeah. complex, and it's like, man, yep. I even I don't understand some of this stuff. i got to reread it four times. Um, but this stuff is... It's pretty simple, straightforward truth, um, kind of an explanation of truth. And that's really what scripture should be, is like whatever is plain in scripture should be obvious. And a lot of the stuff he's pulling out of scripture here is obvious. Yeah. No, and to your point, though, you're talking about like worship. And I would agree. I That's why I kicked it over to you briefly, because the corporate part is important. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that to say that we shouldn't do that at all. But um, we see here as he continues, real worship... Oh my goodness, technology. So, real worship, where am I at? And we're back. Uh, Nope, Andrew's lost today. Two seconds, two seconds here, I I promise. We'll forgive him for his um, lack of computer skills. No, my keyboard decided to pop up. It's not even a computer, it's a tablet, bruh. Uh, (laughs) We're talking... um, Oh, real acts of worship must be the overflow of the perpetually worshiping worshiping life. Yeah, I found it. Real worship begins with giving Giving first first of ourselves and then of our our attitudes. And then of our possessions. And then of our possessions. So, in light of this, thank you. Thank you for finding it. You're welcome. He flushes out three dimensions of worship. Um, One is the outward dimension, which would be our behavior toward others. Two is the inward dimension, which is our personal behavior. And then three is our upward dimension. The, uh, rather the upward dimension, which is the thanksgiving and praise of God, or to God. Um, There's a lot of over. So MacArthur doesn't do. Uh, here's where I think this this is lacking. Is he separates these three and doesn't really good, do a good job of tying them back together. And that's my, that's maybe that's my opinion, but I think that like realistically, like our behavior towards others is yes, it's outward, but I think that should still be upwards. Like how we treat others has implications on what we like think and feel oh, about God. Oh, of course. And the same thing inward, like our personal behavior should be influenced by that kind of upward direction. So all three really are kind of interrelated. And I think if if he missed the mark anywhere, which there's a couple other places, but this is one where I would say like these things are more interrelated than I think he leads on to which for the sake of explanation it's it's good to understand the different yeah aspects but dissecting it yeah yeah he like he dissects it but then he doesn't reconstruct it at all and i think could be a presupposition to be honest i'm not trying to not a fair one though yeah no no i'm not i'm I'm not trying to like defend i'm saying it could be he just presupposed that that's what we would 
takeaway. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. I think that'd be it would have been really cool to see. But because you're right, if you looked at the Venn diagram of like say those three circles, there would be a ton of overlap. Ultimately, stemming from the th- number three upward, right? Our praise and worship of God should influence how we tr- our internal behavior, our external behavior. Um, <clears throat> So let me tra- fast forward a little bit. There's one quote from chapter three, um, and I, I really like this direct quote. Worship, is the, it, worship, as the word of God presents it, is et- internal, sacrificial, active, and productive. Remember that one more time because I, 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 I really like that. Worship, as the word of God presents it, is internal, sacrificial, active, and productive. And he does place some emphasis on that, the orders of that. But I, I, I like that. I thought that was helpful, good visual. Um, and he opens chapter four with the idea that worship is not an option for the believer. Darn. <laughs> the supreme motive of our redemption is not for us to receive anything. This is a direct quote, sorry. Rather, we have been redeemed so that God may receive worship, so that our lives may, be, may uh, glorify him. Um, and this kind of Brett mentioned when Nate, kind of hits on what Nate mentioned earlier in the start. Was it's not it's how we live our life too. It's a sacrificial wor- uh, sacrifice of worship and how we live, um, which is all facets of our life. There's nothing that should be no, no part of our life should be untouched by a proper understanding of worship. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. I think what's crazy is people talk about creation and people are like, oh well, God created us because He loves us. Like, yes, but. Again, we, we pigeonhole God so much. And oh, that's yeah. what the, sorry, I don't want to segue into my chapters already, but no, you're good. like yeah. we talk about the attributes of God and why God we pigeonhole him so much about like we this is how we think God is. Like let's be careful. Absolutely. Because like God created us to worship him. Like yes, he has a relationship with us. And right. he definitely created us, but like we are inferior to God. <gasps> and we owe everything to God. And even more so after the fall, like it's one thing that he created us. That's that's just humbling in and of itself because, like, he didn't, um, and the book doesn't touch on this, the aseity of God, mm. which is that God exists outside of everything, right? Yeah. Obviously, he's omnipresent, but, like, God needs nothing to sustain him. Yeah. And... Well, um, the way I describe it, to your point, is that he exists, he created reality, he exists outside of our reality because he created it. Kind of to your point, I know it's more in depth what you're talking about, but that's a way to... He doesn't need the things that we need. Yes. He also can act outside of it. He can act in it, and he can also act outside of it. But part of our relationship is it's not a relationship of equals. And I think that's where we have to be careful. Is yes, he desires relationship with us, but like he's going to lead and nurture and guide us and take care of us. But he clearly, especially what Scripture says, like demands certain things of us. And it's like he will be glorified in all things, and... Absolutely. We should seek to glorify him in all things. That's ultimately what his whole plan is about. Like that's why he saved. Like, he saved us because he loves us, and because he's merciful, he's long suffering, he's forgiving, yeah. and he's just. Oh, yeah. But he saved us ultimately too for his own glory. Amen. And I think yeah. people miss that. People are like, oh, that's egotistical. Like, oh. if I were God, I'd want to toot my own horn too. That sounds selfish coming from a fallen human being, right? Because if, yeah. like, to say like if I were God, like I would want to toot my own horn about how good I am too. Like. I, he doesn't tout it that way, no, but he like doesn't. at the same time, like it's almost like it's just reality. It's just that's what he is, right? He's holy. He that's is all. Of, that's he is of, all that. Yeah, it's, but yeah, right. It, 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 he, him being holy, which I know you're going to hit on, because he 
And he's really excited, and I, as am I, about the attributes <laughs> of God and the source of worship. I think um, we're going to go there eventually, maybe next year. Yeah. What do you mean? Uh, for like some show topics. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Anyway, back on track. Yeah, no, and, and kind of buttoning us up as we're about. To, we're gonna have a very brief at the end of each segment here, a brief takeaway. We briefly discuss kind of like we've been doing, but more holistically throughout all five chapters. Um, and he ends chapter four, kind of back on the mark here. The true mark of a genuine Christian is that he worships God in the spirit and in truth. Now, this is a slight paraphrase. This last point. Um, Worship in spirit and in truth is the touchstone of every other virtue. I'm going to come back to that in my, one of my takeaways. Excuse me. Because I found that to be accurate when you actually meditate on it and consider it. It's, it is. But, and then we roll into chapter 5. And this, kind of to Nate's point, begins the study of God. Like he then turns his focus on the source of worship. Right, like okay. As now that we have an understanding of what worship is, then first the need for worship, what good worship looks like, what bad worship looks like. Um, after we kind of get that, our bearings, if you will, he then turns. Okay, it's important that we understand the source of our worship. Like if we're going to worship properly, we need to know who we're worshiping. Um, and, and and he really discusses the the absolute necessity that we understand that God exists in, in He's trinitarian in nature, right? Meaning, for those of you who don't know, that's okay. If you don't know that $5 word, it means like, you know, God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, now, I'll kick it over to Nate. He's going he's gonna to properly, exegetically dissect where God the Son, God the, he's going to properly put them in their proper boxes, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. You don't want to do that. <laughs> no, because Scripture doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Now, that's, I was waiting for a facial expression. I got nothing out of that one. He was like stone-faced. I was waiting for something. Anyway, no, I'm learning your sassiness. Yeah, no, um, he's absolutely right, though. Scripture doesn't do that, therefore we don't do that. Actually, that was, that's one of the things that we get to in, in these next coming chapters. Yeah. Um, are you done with your takeaways? Al- almost. Um, so now... Dang, I was hoping for, for a good first, segue. These first five chapters serve as a foundation that got Dr. MacArthur builds on. Okay, so again, chapter five, I didn't want to get too much because it's going to get very heady, and Nate and I would love to go into more conversations on this. Uh, but he focuses on the need to understand how God the Son and God the Father work together, how God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, and how they all are three in one, and the, the necessity of of the God manifests himself in Trin- the Trinitarian um, as a, a, a Trinitarian in nature. That's the way I want to put it. Um, and he really emphasizes that the doctrine of the Trinity is very important to proper worship, which I I agree with. Um, I, I find our it's, scripture is very clear on that. Um, I have really three takeaways, and I'd love to hear if you um, from all five chapters here, or the first five chapters. Um, and I liked how he did, and not that I didn't know this before, but really focusing on this proper worship is internal, external, and upward. Like, and I like I agree with your point, like that tying it back together again would, would have been nice. But overall, that that dissection of there's more to it than just the surface, um, and then. In order to truly worship, first we must seek to know God. I think that's a very important takeaway from the first five chapters. Um, as it ends on that note, we really need to know God. Um, and worship in spirit and truth is the foundation of all other virtues. Like seeking to proper worship is the foundation of what the other virtues are built upon. Um, as you consider that, I think that's I thought that was really a profound way to put it. 
Mm-hmm. Anything, anything to add to that? Nate? I mean, the only thing I would add is in Jesus says himself that God is the spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That, well, that, to be fair, and, he used that scripture takeaway. He I'm does. sure he did. He did. And he, yeah, I'm, I'm not, he should, but I'm not surprised. Um, but yeah, no, that's, and that's like the gist of the entire Bible. It's like we were created to worship. That's the basically the sole, one of the sole purposes of yeah. our creation. And so what does that look like? And obviously the Old Testament is a foundation for that. And we don't do a very good job as a modern church in really understanding that. And we miss the mark there. And so, again, I think we'll spend some time next episode or the one after really dissecting some of the Old Testament things as related to worship and how we can understand them today. Yeah, I think that's good. And then, and then too, like, I mean, the idea of proper worship, and I, I don't remember where he does this but i feel like he tells the story and this is one of my favorites in, in scripture is um nadab and abihu aaron's sons yeah. who fill their censer with something that god has not commanded them to yeah, fill he it uses, with he uses this scripture yeah. i'm sure he does yeah he i does. don't remember where i'm sorry I'm, you know, I'm sorry continue but yeah it's my does, favorite though he because yeah he then they do they worship god in a way he does not desire and has not commanded and what does he do he judges them and kills them yeah. And that's that's very, it's very just of God. Absolutely. But it's it's also telling of like what God desires. Like there's twofold there. Like it's clearly what God does not desire, but then what does he desire is the opposite of that. Or the, I think he touches on it too, the Cain and Abel story. He does, yeah. Right, of how Cain's offering versus Abel's offering. And people get wrapped up like, well, oh, one was fruits and one was animals. So like, yes, there's that blood element to it. But at the same time, like I would almost a thousand percent guarantee if Cain's heart was in the right place. Oh, yeah. And if Cain had offered the first fruits of his vegetation, because the Lord also demands grain offerings and things in the Old Testament. Oh, yeah. That like, I'm pretty sure it have been fine. But it, yeah. it goes back to Cain's heart. And I think we missed that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because it's we were so focused on the what is being offered like the the physical thing or the the outward oh yeah the, the, and not the yeah. inward what god looks at and i would, I would contend like, to your point that much of the old testament god's problem and judgments are not that israel is not following the letter of the law and their sacrifices it's their attitude in their hearts that are not actually worshiping god mm-hmm. um, that's not and it's not every case but largely as, we, as we're going to see in future episodes i agree Nate. i think that's a good thing to look at is the old testament um, to start from here but yeah, no, I think that's really good. And um, obviously, chapter five we ended on t- starts talking about the source of our worship, the the um, the muse, if you will, of our worship. What we're supposed to be venerating, who rather we're supposed to be venerating, and that's God. Um, and chapters six through ten, a lot, many many of those chapters touch on God, right? Who He is, His attributes, mm-hmm. and that's really the the transition here MacArthur makes. So, like chapter six and seven are. And we'll kind of tackle these a little bit together that you get four attributes and, and eight gives you another attribute of God. And it's really, MacArthur does a pretty good job of dissecting these attributes, one, defining them kind of the way scripture defines them. Um, I think you do a little better job of defining them, not in his own words, but letting scripture define them. I think he, again, misses a little bit of mark there, but not too bad. And not obviously heresy or really even error, just personal critique so take that for what it's worth um but like not just what we know like what those definitions mean about who god is but like how does the fact that god is this way define our worship and influence our worship and how should it and how like and what should it mean if we don't worship that way so it gets interesting but so chapter six we talk about god is immutable which means god is unchanging 
Um, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're not going to talk about the the questions that's always begged there. And then the other one is God is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. And please don't ask the question, is God, can can God create a rock so big that even he can't lift it? Again, not not answering these questions. But the the first thing MacArthur touches on is we talk about all these attributes of God, and we study the attributes of God. And I think the unfortunate part is we do all that, and we study Scripture, and we think we know God. Like and perfectly. Yeah. And that sounds profound. Like, we, we know God. We have a relationship with God. I'm not saying you don't know God. I'm just begging the question a little bit. And MacArthur begs this. is like, how much do we really think we know God? Because if we think we know God more than we actually do, then we kind of get in trouble. If we go beyond the pages of Scripture, we get ourselves in trouble. Mm-hmm. If we get in our own way, we get in trouble. Uh, he offers the quote, uh, we get into trouble when we try to make God too much like what we know. And that's really, I mean, we're human, right? We're also fallen humans. And so what do we do? We we, we pigeonhole God by one emotion and, and define him by that because that's what we do about humans. But humans are so infinitely complex in themselves. Like how much more infinitely complex do we think God is emotionally? But we just miss it. And, and I think part of it's because we don't understand. I think that's the biggest thing is we just don't understand who God is and how infinitely more, just in general, how infinitely more he is. And MacArthur does a good job of fleshing that out. And they also, we get to the end of all things, like we get to heaven, we're going to find out. And I think we're also going to find out how wrong we were. Yeah. Um, sorry, I, to that point really quick, um, there's this like meme that's going around, so take it for what it's worth. I, thought, I think it's pretty, it's both instructive and funny. But, you know, you have one, one panel, you have a guy saying, only God can judge me, and he's like doing... He's, be, he's trying to be, you know, um, I think the kids would call it hard or tough. Um, and then the other panel, there's like, there's this teacher or maybe pastor, who you can f- fill in the blank. Um, and they're like, yeah, but that's worse. Like, you get how that's worse, right? <laughs> like the idea that, yeah, yeah, God can, only God can judge you. That's true. And that should terrify you. Like, it, it shouldn't be something, essentially, it's something that's so flippantly thrown about. To, to Nate's point, that the, the true majesty of God, um, yeah, I just thought that was interesting illustration. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy. So yeah, there's difficulty in knowing God, but there should be some humility. We talk about worship in spirit and truth, but there should be hum- humility in our worship to really continue to being open to let God teach us about Himself and not putting things on God. We've talked about in the attributes of Scripture, like not um, we should bring presuppositions to the text, but we should not bring like assumptions we should not bring like pre preferences like preferences and 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 biases to the text and in doing so i think we should we should treat god very much the same way we treat his word right we we should try and let ourselves decrease and let but like let the word of god speak for itself let the spirit speak for itself in illuminating scripture for you and and that's, I think, just a wonderful thing when it comes to just not knowing. Um, but about immutability, it's not just that, again, it's not just that God is immutable. MacArthur does a good job, and it's it's called The Blessings of God's Immutability. Um, I think it's pretty, it's pretty good that God doesn't change, right? God makes a promise. He ain't going to break it. That should be reassuring, right? You know, he, he's promised he's going to save you. He's sent his son to save you. 
And so we cling to that hope of the future. Like, he's not going to break that promise. Like, oh, I sent my son to die, but oh, just kidding. It's it's not enough. Like, that's not like God is good on his word. And that should be reassuring. And it, that should influence our worship, right? The The hope that we have, the assurance we have in God should influence how, not only how we see him, but how we act and how we worship. And again, but the, on the flip side, the unbeliever is the... It, the, the fact that God does not change should be terrifying, right? Because, like you said, like, only God can judge me, right? Only God can judge you. And that's... That's a bad thing. You realize how that's worse. <laughs> yes, yes. God's judgment is eternal. Don't feel the one who can can and can kill the body, but not just kill the body, but condemn the soul to hell. Yeah, kill the body and the soul in hell. Yeah. I guess that depends on translation, but yeah. Mm-hmm. You guys get you guys get the gist. And in, and in the same way with... with the omnipotence of God, like his sheer power. Not and it's demonstrated throughout scripture in, in a number of ways, and MacArthur calls attention to a couple of them. Obviously there's he could have picked any of them, and there's like an infinite amount. His ability to create, his ability to sustain, um, the miracles that Jesus worked and and the sovereignty that Jesus displayed in coming to earth. Like all these things demonstrate who he is. But like not only do they demonstrate who he is and how like awestruck we should be of that, but also like God's on our side, man. Like that's that's kind of a big deal, right? How much do we look up to like you know, I know you didn't have an older brother and well neither did I. Um but I have a sister who um when I failed as an older brother, stepped up big time. And like, I, I she knows this, but like I've I look up to her a lot, <laughs> even though she's my younger sister. And like, if I look up to somebody like that who sets a good example for me and who who epitomizes like aspects of God, like how much more should I be like look up to God and, and want to be like God, right? Obviously, we can't be God. Same th- in the same way, I can't be my sister, <laughs> but I want to emulate the things of God that my sister does, right? Yeah. In the same way, I want to emulate the things God does and the things God calls of me to do that he's commanded me to do in his scripture. Like, I want to honor him because he's powerful and he's on my side and he continues to do things for me. So why would I not? And, and MacArthur says as much. But like that that idea of worshiping the unchanging, omnipotent God. Do we see him as timeless and infinite and unchanging? Or do we see him as like minimizing his greatness or minimizing his whatever human idea we give to him and that 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 in at a minimum again MacArthur doesn't spend a lot of time on this one but at a minimum it kind of if you have the wrong view of God can minimize the impact of worship at a like maybe a best case scenario Mostly best case scenario, and then like yeah. worst case scenario like it's heresy it's God abhors it yeah generally right. we're, speaking, God abhors we're, that we're we're creating false worship, yeah. and then God tra- in God MacArthur transitions in seven to talk about the omnipresence, which is that God is everywhere at the same time. And chew on that for a minute. <laughs> okay, what's even crazier though? And MacArthur doesn't say this, but it's not just that He's everywhere at the same time; it's that He exists both. Like He transcends time, absolutely itself. He transcends both time and space. So like He's in time and out of time. Chew on that for a minute. And p- that. That that boggles people's minds. I've had discussions. People are like, oh well, God always refers to like the present activity is like because 
that's how we understand it as humans. That's but how do, we do we don't it, yeah. think God doesn't have foresight and forethought and doesn't exist at the end of time already and isn't fr- still in the beginning, like throughout all ages? Like, he's you don't think creator. he's got this whole thing figured yeah. out? He just designed everything and spoke it into being. Because if he didn't, like, again, that would minimize our worship. If, if God says he has it all together, but he really doesn't, then yeah, we have reason to doubt, but clearly he does. So I would also go against the holiness of God, which I know you're coming to, so I'm sorry. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> we'll get there. Whoa. And we're just breaking my oh. the technology, man. Just Today break. we've been having some technical difficulties, folks. Brothers, sisters, thank you for bearing with us. Maybe we should just cancel the whole episode. Just kidding. You're probably going to listen to me say that and be like, why would he say something like that? I've, we've had better days. We're, we're actually really funny. So if you can't pick up on our humor, then hopefully one day you can. It's a good thing this show is still a work in progress. <laughs> um, if we ever get to like a million followers, and it's like, oh, hopefully they never hear this one. Um, but no, God knows if, Oh, and God is omniscient, too. Right? So God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. He's seen all things. Um, and so there's, just like, there's the question of like, where, where does God dwell? Um, I think it's pretty that's a difficult question to answer it's a rather complex question macarthur kind of gives some hints as far as like we talk about how god dwells in the old testament he like dwells with the ark of the covenant he dwells in the temple like there's a physical manifestation of god there but if we see the physical manifestation of god there are we to think he's not everywhere else and in macarthur it's what you just said he does talk about that when he talks specifically about like the ark and everything, how God was like, they thought God didn't just exist there, which Israel mistaken that often for thinking that way at times. Right. And here's, here's, I think the crazy part um, that I think we miss about like this idea of like God is everywhere at the same time. Like, yes, I think I don't know not the crazy part, and I don't think MacArthur Ray uses this reference, but like even the baptism of Christ, like God is three persons. He is the voice from heaven. He's the dove descending down. And he's the sun being baptized. And yet he's still probably everywhere else too. Like he sees everything oh, yeah. and knows everything. Like his spirit is present everywhere. But how, but the question then is again, how should we, MacArthur asked the question, like how should we respond to that? I mean, how, I'm going to say this, like maybe we should think about him. Like we think about Santa Claus, man. Right, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good. It's for, an interesting <laughs> illustration. It, I man. Uh, spoiler to all you kids out there. Maybe you shouldn't listen. Um, when I first heard that song, I thought it was creepy, and that's like, wait a minute. I mean, the more we think about this, like, what if we think about God like that? What if we actually thought about God like that? The like, He does see you when you're sleeping. He does see you when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. Yeah, and. That that fact alone, like, there is no, there is, I mean, it says in scripture, again, I don't think MacArthur quotes it, there's nothing secret that won't be revealed. Like, and, and be certain that your sins will find you out. And it's, it, those those are two, kind of twofold, right? Like, obviously, your actions have consequences, and some at some point, they will probably come to bear, if not in this life, in eternity. But then also, like, God sees everything, every single sin, every single bad thought. Like he knows what you're thinking. He knows what you've done. And in, in some sense, that's like, that's super humbling because look at the price he paid for all of that. 
But at the same time, like, how should that affect my worship? Shouldn't that want me, like, to be obedient? Even in, even if it's a little fearful, like, and fear, we should talk about fear, but Paul talks about fear being, we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We should fear, uh, and check, MacArthur talks about this in chapter eight, the fear of a, reverence and fear of a holy God, but a God that is also present everywhere at the same time. Yeah. If I may, um, I believe, I don't know where he uses it, but he does reference Isaiah six, talking about like how we should react to the. God's attributes of him being omnipresent, omnipotent, like truly. Chapter eight. Okay, sorry, I don't know if I cut you off there. Okay. I, I flipped there because I, I think it's worthy. I, you know, I, I, maybe I can hit it, but uh, when you're done, but how Isaiah reacts when he interacts with God and he sees it, and his his instant reaction. Like, and there's other places in Scripture with the prophets or others who who have that reaction immediately quake. But anyway, I'm sorry. Continue. No, no you're absolutely right, though. Like. That is, I think I used that analogy in my first sermon on worship too, is like, if our reaction to God is not just like prostrating ourselves and like being completely humbled, even not just like like physically, yes, but like even like like spiritually in our heart, like um, I think tonight in our Wednesday night service, we talked about bending the knees of our hearts. And I'm like, that's an interesting way to put that. But it may, it's a good point of like showing reverence in your heart. And like, you may not be able to physically prostrate yourself, but like, is your heart prostrated before God? Yeah, I, I do it. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one is omniscience, right? So God knows everything. That's another one. Chew on that for a minute. Right. And everything that ever has been, everything that ever will be, just He knows everything. And in, in the all of the possible worlds that God could have created, he chose this one. Because you think God didn't have the foresight to to probably say, hey, like, what are the consequences of me creating all these different types of worlds with all these different types of parameters? If Maybe he didn't. I'm sure he did think about those things, right? He was very intentional about what he did. When you look at creation. There's no accident. It's very, yeah, it's very, he's very intentional. But... God knowing everything, sometimes we I think we take that for granted. Like, well, go, God knows everything, so this is all going to work out. Like, okay, but you still have to do something, right? And so, and the one thing, too, is that people get on, and MacArthur gets on this train, right, about, like, prayer. Like, well, why do I pray to a God who knows everything and knows my requests? Like, well, first of all, he told you to. Yeah. He said, ask me for these things. If two or more gather together in my name and agree on something, then there I am in the midst of them, right? Again, the in my name thing carries some some weight to it that we miss a lot but we can gloss over yeah but and sproul said it this way too is it's prayer doesn't change god it changes things right it changes outcomes it changes your heart it changes maybe the person's heart you're praying for and it changes so the mind of god won't change but we also remember that god honors obedience a little bit too so but god has already decided he's gonna do things again we all we always ask these things in accordance with God, and not my will, but yours be done. Like Jesus prayed like that. And we should pray like that. It's not my will, but yours be done. Like, yes, I want people to be healed. I want people to be saved. And I'm going to do things to, to help that. I'm not a doctor. I can't heal people. But I'm going to make sure the people I love go see doctors. And that's how I, I play that role. But, like, I'm again, I, the people I want to be saved, I'm going to tell about Jesus. But I can't save them. I can do my job and preach the gospel. But, like, you know, God works in mysterious ways. But MacArthur adds this quote too, is our prayer requests are not meant to give God information that he needs because he doesn't need any information. Like we're not telling God anything he doesn't know. 
Like, uh, that's why I always think it's funny when God asks questions. Yeah. And throughout the Bible, God asks all these questions and it's like, do we think he doesn't know the answer? Like, of course he knows the answer. He's just, he has different motives. Like he's either trying to get you to realize, like he asks Adam, where are you? Like he's getting, trying to get Adam to own up to his sin. Like he, he gets there eventually, but like, yeah, he's got to hold his hand, but he's giving him chance after chance to like. Of course. Well, like the questions he asks of Job, that's another. Those are like fearful. Like those should generate fear. Mm-hmm. Those should generate fear. My funny, the funny ones are when like he asks Amos questions and like he gives Amos a vision. Like Amos, what? Like gives Amos a vision of a plumb line. He's like Amos, what do you see? Like a plumb line? Like duh. Like why? Why would you say that? Like probably for the benefit of those he's he's reading to like you know. But he wanted, but also he. I think God wanted to make sure, and he wanted to make sure that Amos was clear and the people were clear on that. Like God showed Amos a vision, and God clearly confirmed with a- Amos what this vision was about. Like clearly, Amos saw a plumb line. There is no debate. There is no well, especially when we get into Revelation. Like oh well, John saw a dragon. Well, what does that mean? Like no, Amos saw a plumb line, and this is what it means. Um, but again, God knows everything. So God, and we talked about this and MacArthur does too. Like God knows us and he still loves us. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. That's my sake. I know me and I'm not always my biggest fan. And, and so to close this chapter and really the issues about the attributes of God, the, the character of God is established. This is the issue is how one responds. A man who smashes himself against God continually trying to live the way he wants to live. No matter what God is like is a fuel. A fuel, a fuel, a fool, a fuel. Wow. Uh, God is immutable, omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. Our response to that ought to be humble, honest worship. It is easy to be proud if we focus on ourselves, but as soon as we start understanding what God is like, we realize our lowliness and our response is a desire to give God glory. And so chapter eight, we talk about the we've talked about all those other attributes of God. And MacArthur gets into like the standard of the holiness of God and what that really means and his and God's abhorrence for sin. And um and like it's like we talk about does God hate anything? And people always get bent out of shape when I say yes. Well, I mean it's obvious. And God hates sin. Yeah. And you know, with a with a righteous just hate, like his holiness that kind of presupposes that he hates sin. It's an example. And yeah. Yeah. MacArthur gives a couple examples of God's holiness, but really, like Scripture just screams of God's holiness, right? And and it's demonstrated by a couple of things, right? Obviously, his justice in punishing sin, um, his hatred of sin, um, his like the beauty of his holiness. When we talk about like the Old Testament tabernacle and the things he desired of sacrifices in the temple and the and the tabernacle. Um, and this is where he does a good job too, um, of kind of recounting Isaiah six, right? Or woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and, and an unclean people. And he just pray, basically prostrates himself before the Lord and tears his clothes. And is like, Nope. And then obviously this, the, the angel comes and cleanses his mouth and like purges it. And, and he's, willing to be used by God. Like Isaiah then gets up and go and is, is the mouthpiece for the Lord. So his response to God is, is falling down, realizing he's holy, but then once God has redeemed him, 
then he's he goes and does what he's supposed to do. And he not perfectly, but yeah, does his, dedicates himself to following the Lord's commands. But one thing that's lost, MacArthur does a good job of this. Is like, whatever happened to godly fear? Whatever happened to reverence? Like, where is that? I think we've gotten a little soft in our Christianity, maybe. Um, we're like, we, we love, a, again, we love a soft Jesus. We love a feel-good Jesus. One who already affirms who we are and right. where we're at. We don't have this godly fear. We don't have this, like, understanding of, like, reverence before a holy God. Like, we just lose all that because we don't truly, and MacArthur, again, does a good job of this. Is like, we don't under, truly understand who God is. If we miss all the attributes of God, we miss who God is. Then how can we even worship him, and how can we respond to him? Yeah, how can we worship him in truth? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to use an analogy. MacArthur, I'm surprised doesn't use. Um, I'm sure Andrew would appreciate this. Like, I think I've used this on the on the show before of like worshiping. Like we talk about like relationship with God and and saying we love somebody and how do we respond in love? Like, what do I do with my wife? Right? Do I get to know my wife? Do I know my wife? Yes, and because I know my wife, I know what pleases my wife, and I know what doesn't please my wife. It's Valentine's today, and here I am. Here, I'm sure she's she's happy with me. <laughs> no, we cel- we we celebrated last night. Yeah. Um, yes, no, we. She understands, and but but no, but she I I like I know her, and the more I get to know her, the more I understand how she works, and what pleases her. And so I want to do what pleases her because I love her. And I want to make her happy. And making her happy makes me happy and vice versa. Right? And in the same way, and even more so, like if I love God and want to worship God, I want to do what God says. And the only way I can do that in part is to know who he is and know what he desires. Right? I can't just give God what I think God wants uh, apart from his own counsel. Right? My, My thoughts on what God wants should be in directly informed by scripture absolutely well i think to your point uh nate if i may uh, i think part of the reason and i I know dr MacArthur does say as much but part of the reason that we're lacking and we can say in the church in the west or maybe the church right i don't say church universal but church today um that reverence of god or that healthy fear of god is that we gloss over his attributes like who he is like you said but ultimately also like don't spend any time really in the grand scheme talking about or thinking about the fact that god is holy and what that means that god is holy like truly it's easy oh yeah he's set apart oh yeah he's this no no like he's holy perfectly Mm -hmm. holy he's perfectly complete he lacks nothing he sin is not anywhere in him um, and, and that is the starting of it as you meditate like, and you, that draws about that response that Isaiah has when we really really try, start to understand that God is holy and that God is all these other attributes that stem from his holiness really or that really find its foundation in his holiness it generates about that fear that like the Israelites had on Mount Sinai when they saw you know vaguely would see the presence of God, like, look, it, Moses, you got to take us far, him far away, because we're like, he will destroy us. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry, brother, continue. No, you're good. Um, I MacArthur uses a. I'm not one for using C.S. Lewis's books. Like, I love Chronicles of Narnia. I'm not one to throw them in a theological book. Um, 
But I thought this was an interesting oh, yeah. depiction yeah. here. And so I'm going to, I'm going to read it to you. So shout out to MacArthur and C.S. Lewis here um, from the line, which in wardrobe. And so it says in one scene between the beaver. So the Lucy, Susan and Peter are with the beavers. They're in Narnia. Um, they have not met Aslan, but they're talking about Aslan. And so it says, Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. After the children met Aslan, Lucy observed that his paws were potentially very soft or very terrible. They could be as soft as velvet with his claws drawn in, or as sharp as knives with his claws extended. And then MacArthur goes on to add, We in modern Christianity have somehow missed that truth. While we were thankful for the reality of God's grace, and while we want to enjoy the experience of his love, we have somehow neglected the truth of his holiness, and that imbalance is eating at the heart of worship. And I think that, that, that really sums up, again, how knowing the entire character of God and understanding the entire counsel of God that has been revealed in Scripture really should inform our worship. We can't just pigeonhole God into an aspect or two. That's a very good point. Yep. And then so chapter 9, MacArthur goes into, um, like he says, a new era dawns, but he really spends most of the chapter kind of um, discussing the the encounter with the woman at the well and in, in John. John 4? Mm-hmm. He, he stays there. I'm sorry, I continue. That's he stays fine. there for the whole chapter. Yeah. And so we we get a lot from that. He kind of exegetes the whole thing. And so I don't know that it's fair to even pick apart this, because I think he does a really good job, because we talk about the difference between Samaritans and Israelites. Uh, we talk about the, of is Jesus really the Christ? Uh, we talk about the difference of how Samaritans worship between the, how the Jews worship and what's right and what's not. Um, he said... One of the section headings in that chapter is everyone did what is right in his own eyes. The Jews did what they thought was right. The Samaritans did what they was what was they did what the what they thought was right. But the question is, what is right? Um, quoting from John, it says, "Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth." And so, MacArthur goes on. And this is where he starts to realize, like, he doesn't realize, he already knows. Um, but he starts to reveal, like, this connection. It's called, it's called Something Old, Something New. And he kind of starts to make the connections between John 4 and then, like, what Hebrews starts to say about the Old Covenant and how the Old Covenant is kind of fulfilled in the New Covenant. And, I mean, obviously, Hebrews chapter 10 is the inadequacy of the Old Covenant. But there are some things in the Old Covenant that can have in, implications in the New Covenant. So even though the sacrificial system is ended, that doesn't mean there's not things we can't learn from it. In the same way, and MacArthur talks about the Sabbath here, and I just don't know that this is the place for this discussion. Um, hmm. That's my take. No, I'm, I'm, I'm continue. Yeah, I, I wasn't um, like disagreeing. I was just more intrigued. So here's here's my take on the Sabbath. We're I'm not really gonna MacArthur. So MacArthur and I kind of agree on this a little bit, but the Sabbath 
is now kind of realized in and somebody like oh well sabbath is now just sunday like no that's a very superficial understanding of sabbath no sabbath is there's a couple of good books on it i can't remember the name of them if i find them i'll recommend them um but like basically they talk about how the sabbath is a day of rest so like as christians you should be taking a day of rest you should be basically i mean you should be devoting your life to god but you should be devoting one day and that's where like obviously sundays come in a lot for churches but like what about somebody who can't get to church on a sunday because they work well i mean if you want to be super technical to your point and we talk about the old testament it was a saturday oh yeah yeah i know you know that i'm just saying like to add more context as you're continuing to flush that out yes no yeah this like the sabbath is saturdays we, we we go to church on sundays because it's the lord's day but at the same time, like, what if you can't get to church on a Sunday and you still, but you go to church on Wednesday nights or you go to church on whatever. Like, if that's your yeah. quote-unquote Sabbath day, then amen. Like, it basically is like setting aside one day a week for rest, for relaxation, for, like, a deeper study of God's word, maybe for a fellowship with be- fellow believers, um, all the above. Yeah. I mean, there's no necessarily requirements, but it's like, it is one of the Ten Commandments, and yeah. we talk about the Ten Commandments being redefined a little bit as resummarized into two of like honoring God and honoring people, or loving God and loving people. Like honoring the Sabbath is not necessarily a day, a specific day of the week, but it, it should still be a day of some sort. If that makes sense, that's oh, my perfect. two cents. MacArthur yeah. kind of gets along that those lines a little bit. He tends to be more Sunday heavy, but that's fine and then the last uh chapter 10 is takes up the issue of like place like where should we worship like where does god again where does god dwell so the old testament traditionally god obviously dwelled in heaven but like where was god he was in the temple he was in the tabernacle and that's where they 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 worshiped but we talk about this the insufficiency of the old covenant now there's a new covenant that is begun and where does god live we know that the, the we are, that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is dwells within us. So then we are the temple. So not only are we living temp like sacrifices, we are living temple. So we are where God dwells, and so that should affect how we worship. I'm not going to get on this big self help kick of that means a bunch of stuff for our physical bodies. Um, there are some people who get on those kicks. MacArthur does not, thankfully. Um, I would. I look at those a little bit more skeptically. It's simple. If you cut any hair on your head, you're wrong. No, I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, says says the man with no beard. It's called shaving every day. Okay, I'm, that's I'm cutting a, hairs on your head. No, that's my face. Head, face. No, nope, no, nope. not. <laughs> You've been lawyered. No, no, because it doesn't say the top of your head. It's no, I know. Head. I'm I'm just kidding. It's okay. It's okay. But then also too, Hebrews like says. So obviously we are the the temple of God in, individually, but then collectively we are the temple of God, the church. And so we should dwell together. We talked about unity. I talked about unity last week, and oh. I know. But then Hebrews ten, we we talked about the importance of of church and communing together as part of the body of Christ. Like that's that's part of it. And even in Revelation, when they talk about the new Jerusalem. And the new earth and the new heaven. And in Re- in Revelation 21, it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he talks about the new temple, right? The question is begged a little bit there is, is that a literal temple? Or is it 
God is literally dwelling in and among all of us, like physically, right? Which is kind of a weird phenomenon. Like we can see God out. The question, yeah. We can see God outside of us, but He's still inside of us, and so we are His temple, and He's dwelling in and among us. Where right now He's just dwelling in us, and He's not any. There's no sort of physical manifestation because obviously, if we had a physical manifestation of God, we would die. We would die in His presence. Yeah, in His presence. Yes, unless we were um, hid in the cleft of the rock. And then so MacArthur goes on to talk about worship is giving, but also like style versus substance. And I I think he makes a good point with just it's more about substance than style, right? And And that's where I appreciate our local churches. So we sing modern songs. We also sing hymns. Um, on a Sunday, we cover at least about worship songs. Every so often, I'll rap. No, that last part was a complete joke. But anyway, I no, agree with this. Is, we do not do that here. Yeah, we do not. We do not. I want to say that again. It was a joke. Joke alert. But the same thing, too, is we get, especially as Western Christians, like we get super, and MacArthur lends to this, is we get super building-focused and not just, like, people-focused. And we're so focused on the event of church that we're, we forget that we are the church. And he kind of that's a that he calls us back to that like when he's called to worship is like we if our worship should be influenced not by the building not by the songs but by our desire to glorify God and so he says worship is about giving and he's not just talking about money like why do you go to church my I have someone who's very close to me when he says well why do you go to church he says you should go to church to get fed. I said, that is super selfish. You Okay, if you go to church, you will get fed. Yeah. I'm not saying you won't. You should get fed. You Your pastor yeah. should be feeding you. Absolutely. And if you're not getting fed, then there's probably something wrong. But if that's why you go to church, to, to receive, if you're going to church to receive from God, your motives are backwards. Because wouldn't you say that? that implies that God owes you something, does it not? A little bit, yeah. Like, hey, I'm going. Hey, I'm I'm going to church. So, what do I get out of this? Like, no, you're going to go to give. You're going to give yourself up to God in singing, in hearing His Word preached, in communion, in fellowship with the saints, and in sacrificing that, in doing what honors God. You're going to get something back, realistically. Like it's not quid pro quo, but it is. There is some semblance of God honors that, and like your pastor doing his job, who go comes to serve, right? Your pastor. What is your? No offense to you as a as a parishioner who's going to church to be fed, whatever that means. Is your pastor going to church to be fed? Because if he is, ain't nobody preaching on Sunday. Because I'm sure that sermon is not. Well, it probably is feeding him. But like he is a, and, and speaking from experience, like when you prepare a sermon, half the time I pre- when I prepare a sermon, I realize this thing's more for me than anybody else, and so like I get fed from that sermon, but I'm not preparing it in order to get fed. I'm preparing it as as a part of like honor I, I, to I God to, to be a, a diligent student yeah. of the Word as an act of worship. To this is my contribution to worshiping God by proclaiming His Word, and what everybody anybody else gets it gets out of that great, yeah. And then whatever I get fed out of that, whatever I learn from that is is a bonus, basically. is a bonus that I don't expect or deserve, but I'm 
thankfully I, I receive quite often. So that's, that's really how it should be. So, I mean, I got nothing else. God's whole, I mean, MacArthur does a good job, right? He tells you who God is. He tells you why that's important. And then he really talks about the idea of how to worship God in spirit and truth. The ideas of like where the temple is, who the temple is, who the body of Christ is. And the idea of like worship is giving, right? Worship is not, we go to church, we should, we should, our mindset in, in coming to a local body, a worship service on Sunday should be to honor God, to bless God, to glorify God, not to receive from God. We should be open to receive. Absolutely. We definitely should be open to receive. But if you come seeking simply to be fed, to receive from God without any expectations of you giving anything, then you've got your priorities mixed. Exactly. Yeah. Then that also comes from probably a misunderstanding of who God is. So, but we still have four more chapters, five more chapters to to pound through. Yeah. I'm, I I was about to say is if if we're kicking over, um, I don't know, are we? Yeah, we are. I'm, that was was my segue. No, you did a good job. I mean, yeah. And we value your time, obviously. Like I am, kind of a weird ball like i will happily listen to four hour podcasts in chunks now i understand that that's not always most practical for everyone so we're gonna do our best to as i will just say in this portion i'll do my best to give you important pieces of what dr MacArthur is saying um and that's relevant that's really good um and we'll have a brief discussion at the end and then we'll button it up um so kicking in in chapter 11 um Dr. MacArthur spends a lot of time in John 4 again. Um, Really the focus is whom and how you worship is key. So now it's, yeah, again, we're talking about whom you're worshiping and then also how you're worshiping, right? And we see he uses the, you know, the scripture reference of John 4. Um, And multiple times here, um, let me see where he explicitly states it. Um, in speaking to the woman on the well, Jesus used two nouns to refer to whom, uh, the, to the whom of worship, that being the Father and the Spirit. Uh, both are essential to identifying the legitimate object of true worship. That's so. That's really what he flushes out, right? Um, tr- a true worshiper must perceive God, excuse me, as the Father and as Spirit. The title Father was Jesus' favorite title for God. Um, he uses a stat here. If I can find it, I will share it. Um, let's see. Ooh. Uh, let's see here. I, I thought I read it here. Maybe I didn't. He does use a stat of how many times Jesus uses the term Father in reference to God. But it nonetheless, he used, that's the most, he title the most, the title he most used, there's the word, the phrase, um, for God. Now, God, that further, Dr. Arthur flushes this out, God cannot be worshipped unless he is worshipped as the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, essentially, again, reemphasize this idea of the Trinitarian doctrine is essential to true worship. Like understanding that God is, it manifests himself and reveals himself to us as a trinity, as three in one, um, it is absolutely crucial. And I'm going to, there's a direct quote from chapter 11 here, and I'll transition to chapter 12. Um, 
Here's a direct quote. It is apparent that in John 4, when Jesus uses the term Father, he is carefully identifying the object of true worship. It is the God of Scripture, the one God of both Old and New Testaments, not some vague, undefined spirit being who accepts worship under a number of names and identities, but the God who is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ and one in essence with him. And we come to the Father only through the Son and only in the power of the Holy Spirit. So really in hammering down true worship, the act. We looked at who God is. Now we're looking deeper at who God is, understanding that he is the father of the Lord, Je- the, of, the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're only able to come to him through Jesus, through the spirit. <clears throat> and we roll into chapter 12. Again, I really cut and cut me short, but rolling into chapter 12 now. That it really, he goes back to this idea of worshiping in spirit and in truth. Now he's really going to flush out what that means, worshiping in spirit and in truth. So worshiping in spirit means first yielding to the Holy Spirit. Um, then we roll into our thoughts are centered on God. And then it, we have, must have an undivided heart, meaning our heart is solely focused on God. And lastly, we must repent which is our word that many people don't like, repent. Or they don't understand. Yeah, or say, or they don't understand. It's not just, do we have time to kind of flush that out or no? Like maybe we can save it for another time. I mean, I would simply just say repentance is a, is a change of mind, heart, and direction. So it's not just saying you're sorry. It's not wanting to do it again and trying not to do it again. Yeah. And the, that comes from the spirit. I have a question is does MacArthur I don't know if MacArthur says this or not and and maybe that's your opinion but do you think you can properly worship God without the spirit what what, what do you mean if you aren't indwelt by the spirit can you even worship God and I'm sorry so I I I got that part I'm saying what about Dr. MacArthur? I'm sorry. Does MacArthur does MacArthur answer that question or even deal with that question? And if so, what does he say? Or what do you think? Um, it's a, he, it's a quick question. No, he, he, he does say that like you need the Spirit to, to, to truly worship God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do need the Spirit. Now, I would I would agree with that. I, I also agree. I just wanted to make sure you addressed it because I think that's part of worshiping in Spirit and Truth is is we we need... Not only our spirit needs to align with God's spirit, but like we need the spirit of God to oh, yeah. to help us to be able to worship in spirit and truth. Because without it, then we wouldn't even know spirit and truth. No, ab- no, absolutely, no, no. That, that, he does. He does touch on that. Again, I can't go into too much depth with it right now, but he does. Um, By the book, yeah. This is not a sponsor. So and then so then he rolls in. Except to answer your question though, uh, Nate, yes, he he does talk about that, and um, I would agree. You do need the Holy Spirit to do that fully worship in spirit and truth. Um, so, and then worshiping in truth is we must worship out of an understanding of the word of God. That's a simple way he kind of describes it. He does flush it out, but that's, if we were to summarize that section, that's what he's talking about. Um, so, and, and he kind of ends chapter 12 or kind of summarizes it with this. Truth is the objective factor of worship and spirit is the subjective. Now, spirit, again, not subjective meaning dealing with whatever you pr- your preferences are, but subjective meaning that it deals with areas that you, your repentance, your heart, your attitude, your, uh, is your, are your thoughts centered on him, those kinds of things, where truth is the objective word of God, which informs the subjective. So, interesting. Imagine that. Isn't that why we titled the show that? Yeah. 
Because, I mean, that's the truth we're talking about, being founded in that truth. But, again, it's not just – we talk about the purpose of the show being so you can live your everyday life as a Christian in the confidence of the truth in Scriptures. But, again, that, that truth in Scripture also should absolutely, as MacArthur and Andrew point out, like that should influence your worship. That should guide your worship. God's given you everything you need in Scripture. That should lead – I mean, the Spirit leads you into all truth, and then that truth should enhance and – Inform your worship. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah. No, and, and kind of um, actually just, just related. Chapter thirteen now rolls into God's glory, like glory to God in the highest. Right. We're talking about true worship is worshiping spirit and truth, glorifying God. Well, what is what is God's glory? And that's chapter thirteen. Doctor MacArthur really spends time on unpacking what God's glory is. Um. He defines, this is how he defines the word glory. The word glory means, this is a direct quote, something that is worthy of praise or exaltation, brilliance, beauty, renown. <clears throat> now, God's glory has two aspects. First it is his inherent or intrinsic glory. God is the only being in all of existence who can be said to possess inherent glory. So that's, that is, um, again, those are direct quotes. And he goes on, he says, men do not have inherent glory, or intrinsic glory, rather. Um, let's see, where's the, him flushing out the other hand? No, the only glory we get is from God. And even we talked about glorification, like, that comes completely from God and nothing of ourselves. Like, the fact that we are co-heirs with Christ and we can inherit eternal life, all that is from God. And because of that, he, even in that aspect, gets glory yeah. from that. Oh, but, absolutely. But, like, our glory is his to begin with. Yeah. No, and absolutely. And then, then he goes on, the second aspect of God's glory is, is ascribed glory. That is what the Bible refers to when it speaks of giving God glory. So it's, that's the second part, the intrinsic glory and then ascribed glory. Um, and he spends a ton of time unpacking it, and unfortunately I can't. So um, basically, God is glory, and we, which is intrinsic, and then yeah, we yeah. give him glory, which is ascribing it to, to him. him. Yes. Correct. Um, In simple terms. <laughs> so, those who give God glory willingly are true worshipers. That's that's Doctor MacArthur. When he goes to worship in God's glory, like combining them, um, glorifying God begins as we have clearly seen with salvation. Then he goes on from there. Um, which again, to the point, to Nate's question, um, you do need the Holy Spirit to truly worship, and that's salvation. We're talking about being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and then, unfortunately, I'm going to roll on to 14. I'm going to get through 14 and 15. I'm going to be quick, guys. Unfortunately, um, that's okay. So, we have we have a little bit of time here, but I also think we don't want to give you the entire book because I think if we give you the entire book, then you're not going to go read it at all. And I yeah. think. Some of these resources are valuable to read in your own yeah, time like and for time. your own understanding. Or if, like, you know, if you read it and, like, oh, you guys didn't touch on this. What do you think about this? Like, yeah, you can send us an email, too. Love love to talk about it. Yeah. No, that's absolutely. Now, we're, now, now in Chapter 14, the, title, the subtitle is How to Glorify God. Um, and he starts it out with how worship is not mystical, right? Um, it is intense, and it's intensely practical. Glorifying God is nothing if it's not active and dynamic. Um, that's the introduction sentence to the chapter. So, and it goes on, 
our, our unwa- unwavering faith in God um, is, first of all, how we glorify God, is that we have, we have a trust in him that's not vacillating or not moving, right? Vacillating fan, vacillating fan, like it moves, right? It shifts, it shakes. True faith is unwavering, right? That's true, wor- a, a plumb line, or if you will, or a foundation of true worship of God. And then next is verbal praise, like legitimately praising God or ascribing glory to him. Um, and then it's confession of sin, idea of repentance. Right? When we inter- interact with this God who is holy, omniscient, om- omnipresent, um, immutable, all these things, and we understand that he's holiness, we, we interact with him. Naturally, if, we- if we're doing it properly and have this unwavering faith, it's going to bring about repentance. It's going to bring about, hey, I have this sin in light of this holy God that I need to get rid of. And then it's abundance of fruit. Fruitful believers glorify God. So that transitions out to, okay, well, now you're naturally, not because you're trying to, but naturally because of this genuine outpouring of of worship, you're going to have fruit. Like bananas? Yep. I was supposed to say fruit of the loom. Yep. No. Um, (laughs) No, like spiritual fruit, right? The fruit of the spirit. Which are? Love, joy, peace, patience. I'm out of order. No, you're not. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, goodness, faith. Okay, I would have had it right then. I don't know why I doubted myself. I gentleness, had, I, self-control. Control. Yep. I had it right then. I doubted myself. See? Mm-hmm. Lesson to all of you out there. Don't doubt yourself when you're in the middle of that. And then we just adjust if we're wrong. And then lastly, it's confident prayer. Um, actually, not lastly. Then it goes into a willingness to suffer, a contrite heart. Or con- I'm sorry, contrite, contented heart, meaning you have contentment. You're content with what God's doing. A clear witness. Um, the last, that's the last section. Um, I know I went through a lot of those quickly. Uh-oh. I accidentally X'd out of the book. Good job. I know. I don't know. It's okay. It's two seconds. I, I'm having all kinds of technology problems today. So, but that's, so he walks through those, those steps. And that's mm-hmm. kind of a rough structure of, of worship. Yeah. So one thing I would, would say is we, we kind of close wrap up our thoughts on this book. Uh, one more chapter. Really uh, oh, we have one more chapter? Yeah, that, that was, was 15. 14. Oh, no. well, never mind. Just and then kidding. Chapter 15, this is shorter, is worship as it was meant to be. And this is where he kind of summarized and ties together all of what he talked about. Like, as we've seen, how to prepare yourself for worship. It does not happen spontaneously. Like, he gives, like, kind of parting thoughts on this idea of, like, all the things he's unpacked. Um, he talks about worship that's, that overcomes barriers. It's funny, I've read, I've read this a couple, quite a few times, and I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, he talks about these different types, like, oh, I don't feel like worshiping. He talks about worship, the worship of repentance, the worship of um, repentance, the worship of submission, the worship of, where's the other one? There's three or four of them. Um, the worship of devotion. And all these different types of worship that are seen in Scripture, and he uses Scripture references for all of them, um, that we would not commonly ascribe to worship. Like that way, if we're not "quote unquote" feeling like we're we're trying to we're, we're coming before God, we're trying to be pr- clear and prepared, and we're struggling. Well, these are t- different types of worships that would still be worshiping God. Um, and then, he t- and then, lastly, he ends with what the results of worship as it was intended to be. Um, let's see if I can. Let's see. I'm trying to see if I can find a brief sentence here that kind of ties it together at the end. 
Jeopardy. I need some, we need some Jeopardy theme song music yeah, for right? this. Okay, oh, here we go. This is not... So, this is like three or four paragraphs from the end. But Jesus himself, this is a direct quote, Jesus himself made worship an issue of evangelism. Don't miss the fact that his discourse on the importance of true worship in John 4 was not given to the Pharisees or other religious leaders. It was delivered to crowds of worshipers on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Jesus, Jesus was in Samaria, speaking to an unbelieving, immoral woman a serial adulterer whose religion was, a corrupt, was as corrupt as her morality. She was a Samaritan, not a faithful follower of the Old Testament Judaism. Of all the issues Jesus could have discussed with her, the one he chose was worship. It was the perfect way for our Lord, the way our Lord dealt personally with the needs of individuals. In this course of their brief conversation, he was able to convince her of his messiahship, instruct her in the way of acceptable worship, and lead her to salvation. So he ends with this idea, he uses Jesus as an example, of what true worship would do. It acts, it acts as a foundation of true evangelism. Um, and then he goes on, there's much, much more. I'm not doing it justice, nor do I desire to be exhaustive in my review here, but... Um, But yeah, overall, that, I think he does a good job. And before I kick it back over to Nate, we can kind of summarize the entire book of our thoughts. Um, again, we're not trying to plug things. Like I would like to eventually when we get our site up and running, have recommended readings and certain things, just suggestions or suggested reading maybe, not recommended, maybe suggested. Uh, I would personally put this on, on it. Um, is it perfect? Of course not. No, no human resource is going to be, but... I think that he does a very good job of tying together and really focusing on worship and what it looks like, what worship in spirit and truth looks like, and ultimately how it's a, it's a priority. It needs to be our ultimate priority. Um, but yeah, that's my two cents really quick, and then we can dialogue a little bit. I agree. Um, I think it's a good foundational book. I yeah. think yeah. in principle he's he's pretty much spot on, I think. In theory, theologically, he's spot on. I think practically, though, he just falls short. And I know that's not the entire intent of the book. He really wants to just... So, like, if you're confused about what worship is, great book for you. If you don't understand worship, great book for you. If you're a new believer, great book for you. If you're overconfident in what worship is, maybe review this book. Maybe it'll it'll set you straight. Seriously, though. So, like, it's, it's for anybody. But I think... Where it misses the mark is there's not a lot of, pra- like, actually specifically practical application to it. Yeah. Like, he speaks in very generic terms. And, which is good. It's fine. Again, it's a foundational book. Oh, of course, yeah. Because um, one thing he doesn't spend a lot of time on, and I'm actually a little surprised, he, he does so elsewhere, is, and we maybe we will too, um, this idea of... Like what is like what actions are specifically considered worship? Like what does God? What does Scripture say? God says is worship. Yeah. And the one key note, especially in the New Testament, is we find these the word acceptable, um, which is in reference to the Old Testament sacrifices being acceptable before God. And and so and there's a list of things that MacArthur deals with in uh, not this book but in other places about like righteous suffering yeah. and taking care of the needy and sharing the gospel and all these other things that are practical things that he really doesn't get into too much in this book, which is uh, honestly like 
I get that he wanted to be brief, and I get he wanted to really focus on worship as a foundation, but I really think that that is the next step, is like, how do we take the theological, and how do we take... How do we make it practical? Right, because that's what really an expositor does with the text, right? We take the text, we exposit it, we understand what it means. Yeah. We take meaning, and we make it significant to us, right? Which is, he's kind of gone that far. But then we take that significance... As to like what, how does it, what, what, what does this text quote unquote mean to me? I don't like that word, but for lack of a yeah, better phrase, term, yeah, because yeah, the text means what it means. But why, how is that, why is that text significant to me today? Or what implications does that text have on me today? And then how can I apply that? So, and so he gets to all these steps, but he misses the application. I think that's where he misses the mark. So if that's like my overall critique of this book, that's it. Uh, but again, Maybe that's not the entire purpose of the book, and I get it. So, like, a good foundational book, yes, but, like, yeah. just know that there's more in Scripture than what MacArthur says. I, I'm, I'm pre- he says as much. I'm sure he does. Yeah, he that. says as much in many of his examples in the, like, in the introduction. And that's, I think, where, again, we, we talk about so often in this show, like, again, this is, it's a fallible human resource. It's a good resource. Yeah. Judge it against Scripture. Know that, again, it, it just... It again, it falls short of scripture, like everything does, and that's not a, a a knock on it so much. But like, there's more in scripture to be dealt with. There's other there's other resources. There's other people who deal with worship. I'm sure MacArthur in other places deals with worship. He does um, yeah, he has more exhaustively, yeah, and so does. just like yeah, I just this thought... book and what any Christian resource should do. And I and I think we're gonna I think I caveat this every show that we talk about a book, but like these books should drive you further into the Word of God. Absolutely. These books should drive you deeper into relationship with God through the Word of God, not in and of themselves, but like through the Word of God into relation further in relationship with the Word of God. So like it's this the way they work together. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, I overall I would I would offer a recommend. Yeah. Um, I just would I wanted to make that important note. I think that that's where one pace I think we definitely understand that it, it is lacking. So with no. that Yeah. If you haven't, do you have any other thoughts? No, I just on that. No, that's. I think that's a really good disclaimer. Um, yeah, and it, it, Dr. MacArthur does have many other resources that go much more in depth. That kind of denotes point. Um, it's very valuable. It's like the iron sharpens iron. Um, you come to it, and you can spur questions, and I think that's one of the reasons why Dr. MacArthur spends so much time in John four or other places where you can pull. Uh, he kind of wants you. He's guiding you to pull up the text and read it <laughs> mm-hmm. and seek it and seek in truth. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a really good foundational source overall. Um, I think it kind of sets up well. It's kind of why we started our series out with this, right? We maybe share a little briefly about that. I think that's why we decided to do it this way is it, get a, it, it brings up a lot of points. Um, and next, next week, I believe it's going to be, we're going to be more in the Old Testament talking about worship, correct? Yeah, I think it's worth uh, going chronologically. We could. I go, would agree. We could go backwards. We could no, go New yeah. Testament, Old Testament. No, I, I would. I would agree. I think that's good. I'm just kind of setting up the our, our our listeners here. Just you know, kind of what to expect. Yeah. So I mean, we'll do a kind of an Old Testament deep dive through, like what worship one, like what worship looks like in the Old Testament, but then how does that inform Influence, our? Like, yeah. What does it tell us about a God? Tell us about God, and how does that inform our worship today? And then. We'll probably take another week to do like a New Testament look at that, which is a little easier to to apply um, because we live in the New Covenant, and we have to look at that in context. Um, So I've been sacrificing bulls and goats. Did you not read Hebrews? He didn't read Hebrews. (laughs) (laughs) 
So that's why we read the whole canon of scripture right there. <laughs> um, that's why the whole canon is important to understand. Again, it's a big book, but that's why, like, especially as a new Christian, like, obviously you're not going to read the whole thing and understand it, and that's okay. But that's why there are others who can help teach you, who can help guide you. You have right, seminary you students, teachers, and, and evangelists, pastors, pastors teachers yeah. for the equipping of the saints, for the yeah. glorifying and building up of the body. Absolutely. Ephesians 4. And so, and then we'll probably do one more week of some like a generic discussion on like applications of worship, maybe what isn't worship, maybe some some real cautions as to like worship music, um, and yeah, and some other things. I think that's called for for sure. And then uh, we're gonna close out our topic um, like segments. Series, yeah. We're gonna do our first interview. Um, whoop whoop! With uh, with a a pastor. We're not gonna. We're gonna spoiler. We're gonna tease this one out a little bit. Um, we're not gonna tell you who he is, but we're we're super excited. Uh, he's already agreed to the interview, even though we haven't really figured out all the details. Yeah, but um, like the logistics, we have. We both know pastor who's very very passionate about God, but about worship specifically, and especially like making sure people understand what worship is and what worship isn't, and how that impacts everything. And so it's worth a, worth a discussion. It'll probably be a semi-interview, semi-just kind of a roundtable discussion. It's probably going to be a little bit more free format um, than scripted. Obviously, there'll probably be some scripted questions in there, but super excited about yeah, that. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, so with that, um, super thankful that you guys joined us today. If you stuck it out for this hour and a half, if it took you a couple of sessions, no worries. Um, I know these academia sessions get long, but we really think it's important to dive into these truths. And hey, it's not the four-hour podcast that Andrew listens to, because I don't know how he does that. I don't do that. Um, I'm glad he has that time of day. But with that being said, um, again, if you have any questions, concerns, prayer requests, whatever it might be, really, if something's just bothering you, just you know, shoot us a line. FortitudeIntruth316 at gmail.com. We're always happy to answer any questions, points of order. You know, we'd love to pray with you, celebrate with you. Um, You know, mourn with those who mourn, celebrate with those those who celebrate. Yeah, 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 same difference. (laughs) Um, Any of those things, absolutely love it. Um, Don't forget to check us out uh, now that we're on YouTube, Pandora, plus the Spotify, iHeartRadio, as always. Um, Still working through some YouTube short ideas. If you have any ideas on some things you'd like to see on more of a daily basis than a weekly basis in a kind of a shorter, um, maybe devotional type format, we'd love to hear some ideas um, and see if we can put something together for you. And with that being said, we'll give you the verse of the day, verse of the week, the focus verse. Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16 says, Through him... Then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And with that, uh, Andrew, if you would close us in a brief word of prayer. And, yeah. I'd be honored to. Or we just come before you humbled, Mom by who you are. Um, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity in this series. And just even today, in this book, uh, reviewing Dr. MacArthur's book on, on worship, Lord, that, that ties into your word, Lord, that we'd be focused on this, that it would become, our, our, again, our, our chief priority is to, to bring you glory, um, to really understand what it means to worship you, which ultimately means that we need to understand you. 
We pray that you continue to open our eyes deeper and deeper to see that. Both Nate and myself, Lord, anyone who can hear the sound of my voice, Lord, that anything that they may be confused by or whatever they might need to have happen to unconditionally surrender parts of their life to you. That's another thing, too. The, the walk of the Christian is that of unconditional surrender. That's something that keeps coming. And, or that we would be bold in our repentance. That, we would, that in, in being confronted with you, we would grieve over our sin. That when we see it, we, it would not just be something we haphazardly pass by, Lord, but that in light of your, holy, in light of your holiness, Lord, that we, in our desire to worship you, that we would be grieved by it. Lord, I pray that you just continue to grow our knowledge on, of you and our, of our understanding of worship in this, in this series, Lord, and that you would bless us as we go today and protect us. Jesus, your mighty, holy, and saving name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining us on Fortitude and Truth. We hope to see you next week.